Good afternoon, good Sunday afternoon, I should say, and welcome back to the QB Spotlight Podcast. As always, we are brought to you by the guru, the man behind QB Spotlight himself, at Stephen Hamner on Twitter. Stephen Hamner. Steve, how's it going, my man? Man, things are good, Eric. And uh, it's kind of weird. This is the first podcast in a few weeks that we actually aren't together doing it. We got we got to do it like we, we used to do it over the uh, the conference call. Yeah, yeah, you know, obviously, uh, for for those of you listening who are, are new newcomers to the to the podcast, first off, thank you for joining us. For those of you who are returning, you'll know that Steve just made his way to Florida uh, to be a Florida resident for the time being. However, our schedules kind of didn't match up. Steve is actually on the other side of the bay, so I'm over here in Tampa, and Steve's about fifty or fifty-five minutes away from here, or so out in Bel Air Beach, was on the the southwest end of Pinellas County. So the timing just didn't match up. So we're doing it the old school way. He uh, got the old Uber conference running and we're all set up and ready to go, but that's not going to change the way we do, do things. We're still going to try to uh, provide you with the best content. It's been uh, really hoping that you guys have been enjoying the podcast so far. Once again, please feel free to leave us, you know, any type of feedback, any comments, content. You can find Steve on Twitter at Steven, Steven Hamner, H-A-M-N-E-R. You can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry, E-R-I-C-C, Henry, H-E-N-R-Y. Uh, you can also find the podcast at QB Spotlight on Twitter. And the podcast itself can be found on Apple Podcasts. So please feel free wherever you are hearing and taking in this podcast, leave us reviews. We welcome any and all feedback. On the last episode, we kind of went through and we just talked about various uh, CUSA quarterbacks, and specifically their weapons was kind of the main topic of the conversation. But we also hit on, you know, some of the other conferences, whether it been the uh, the Mountain West, or just some, some guys we like in general. And once again, we want to thank you guys for listening. But we're going to kind of fast forward this week because as we are recording, it is February 23rd, which means that the NFL Combine is about four days away. The Combine starts on Thursday. As a matter of fact, the position that we cover, you know, the oh-so-coveted signal callers, will be throwing on Thursday. So uh, hopefully, you know, you'll be able to make a little bit of time, whether that's uh, at work or, you know, wherever you are, to check out the Combine. It's a great event. I know Steve will be watching as well, but what we're going to do on today's podcast is we're going to break down the guys, the G5 guys who will be at the Combine, and we know some of those guys we've talked about before, so uh, we don't want to be too repetitive. So we're also going to take what the actual NFL.com, the reviews of the four and uh, the four, excuse me, G5 quarterbacks who are there at the Combine, we kind of break down the positives and negatives and the way that they've rated them. And then also we're going to talk about, you know, we don't want to forget about the guys who uh, maybe weren't invited to the Combine, will have pro days coming up. We'll talk about that as well. And uh, we're going to lead the show off with, you know, just kind of a little bit of background, Steve's expertise, which is, you know, his day job is sport, sport performance training uh, that he works with athletes throughout, you know, various parts of the nation, various sports. And uh, Steve, I just want to kick it to you here. So, you know, two-part question. One, just kind of bring the listeners in, you know, whether it's uh, obviously this, this podcast is specific, is specific to quarterbacks, excuse me, but just athletes in general, you know, if they're prepping for a pro day or even a combine, and you did kind of mention me off here that those two things are different. So I'll let you start with the combine first, since it's coming up. How does that kind of training differ from maybe what, you know, your quarterbacks or just athletes in general are doing throughout uh, the season? Yeah, that's a good, uh, good question, Eric. And I think that's something that's probably – can get uh, confusing when it comes to training specifically. So uh, real quick, so pro days and, and combine, we'll treat those the, the exact same. The pro day, we just have a little longer to get ready for. Usually those are uh, beginning to middle to end of March for the, uh, the, the players pro day, which will be held at uh, various schools and 
the the combine of course is the thing that kind of kicks it off where you know you have to be invited to go to the actual combine so so typically what we do and this is what we do with any athlete regardless if it's one of our baseball players football etc we'll, we'll go through a, a pretty thorough assessment where we will get range of motions, different joints, uh, different postural evaluations, and then we'll do a few basic movement screening tests just to see how they move. And of course, we'll get you know uh, body composition, and, and we kind of tie all these together and form a plan from the assessment. But when it comes to combine and pro pro day training, there's only a few uh, there's only a few things that really matter, and that's how they score on these certain tests. So the way I explain it to our guys is. We have the answers to the test. We know what the test is, is going to – we know what they're testing for. We know how to get better at that test. So it's all about repetition, repetition, repetition. So it's not even really quote-unquote football training, so so to speak. You, you can take a, a pretty decent athlete and take them through these pro day or combine uh, test, and they could do uh, – they could put up a fairly decent numbers and, and whatever the event may be, but then you put them on the football field and, you know, he – he kind of falls flat in his face. Um, but, but so obviously there are, there are tra- traits that correlate and there are tests that are more important than other tests. Uh, but when it comes to the, the diff- how we differ in training for actual game speed and, and football. So say if we have a, a football player coming in, you know, in, in May or, or after OTAs, let, let's say they're coming prepared for, they're coming in July and, you know, a little bit of August, we're going to train them much more differently. We're training them to be a better football player than we would be if they were coming in January and they have six, seven weeks to get ready for the combine. We only have to prepare to prepare for, you know, their 5-10-5, their L drill, uh, their 225 bench test, depending on the position. Most quarterbacks do not test. We, we advise our quarterbacks not to. But, you know, some will. And then, you know, we'll have the 40-yard the dash and the vertical and broad jump. Then you have your, your field your, your, your uh, field drills and uh, your kind of more sport or more uh, position-specific drills. I know this is kind of a long-winded answer, but real quick, in talking to some of the agents we deal with and, and some of the, the, the coaches and, and scouts that we will deal with, yeah, all this combine stuff is important, but a lot of these guys want to get to know the individual. More likely than not, if you're going to the combine, you have a shot to make at the next level. If you just put up decent numbers, then you have a shot. These guys want to know who you are and get to know the individual itself, uh, get to know the individual individual themselves. Uh, and, and one last thing with the difference between pro days and and, uh, and the combine is most of the guys that don't get invited to the combine – their pro days is probably going to be a little bit uh, more important to put up good good numbers and say a guy who is touted to be a first round draft pick he could have a, a subpar combine and still go first round compared to a guy who doesn't get invited to the combine he could put up a huge pro day put huge pro day numbers and hit those numbers could potentially help him get drafted where if he didn't put up those numbers then maybe he doesn't get noticed so I know it's kind of a long winded answer but there, there are differences between the two. Uh, pro days and the combine and there's big differences between how you train for those two compared to how you train to actually get better at football and on the field steve really quick you said something in your answer and i'm hoping you can elaborate on that you said that you know maybe there's some guys may go to the combine who won't test could you elaborate on that a little bit really quickly yeah so you have guys let's say if if i'm let's take joe borough for burrow for example and i have no idea if he's testing 
all if he's going to do all the tests or not. But he's you know pretty much thought of as the number one pick overall. He can most likely go to the uh, combine and not even want, run a forty yard dash and still get taken number one. You know the, the his his risk is higher than his re- reward to run the forty yard dash. I don't know if uh, if you remember last year Kyler Murray. Uh, Arizona Cardinals uh, first round pick from from OU. He didn't run the uh, forty yard dash at his at the combine. He may have run at his at, he may have run it at his at his pro day, but not the combine. So generally, if, if you're a, a high round pick, you can kind of pick and choose what drills you want to do. Most people will do the forty unless you have some type of threatening uh, injury or hamstring kind of risk that you're trying to avoid. Um, and so. If if you're kind of a guy who's on the hinges of being drafted, you don't really have that luxury. You have to go out and and put up good numbers in, in most every event, or so at least show that you can compete and and battle in that. Um, but yeah, so it, it's kind of it depends on the position and depends on on where you know you are supposed to get taken to see if you're gonna do all the events. Because like I said, sometimes the risk can outweigh the reward. Right, and I just kind of wanted you to elaborate on that a little bit because that situation isn't going to apply to any of the G5 guys, more or less. I mean, uh, unless, you know, worst-case scenario, they are legitimately injured and can't. But that's kind of a situation in which, you know, the Joe Burrows of the world and guys like that who um, you don't want to say they're made men per se, but, if you know, if you're guaranteed a top 15, top 20 type uh, draft pick or draft selection per se, uh, you kind of can pick and choose as far as what you may – do or may not do but for our g5 guys they're going to go out there and, and show out because they, they, you know it, it's it's really more or less this is the biggest stage that they can be able to perform on so they don't have that luxury 100 percent. yep and, and just real i want to make sure i, I have no idea if burrow's doing the events or not no no, no, just, no sure yeah you just give an example right right yeah 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 so of course you know that, that was no there was no inside knowledge as to whether burrow's gonna do that or not but uh just to make our transition here real uh, quick let's talk about Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. That's got one more thing. Just in, uh, if, uh, just a, a quick example of like what a, a typical. No, nah, man. This is this is the QB Spotlight podcast. You can have as many takes as you want. <laughs> no, just a, just a quick example of what an actual pro day will look like a schedule. So I'm just gonna pull up one of our guys' uh, schedule. His pro day is coming up in about two weeks, so a little bit further down the road. But like a typical pro day, a like typical schedule, you, you'll get in, you'll you'll, you'll check in. And you'll have your height, your weight, and your bench, vertical, and broad jump to go through that first. So this guy's schedule, he's checking his school, and from 12 to 2 p.m., he's getting his height, his weight, his bench press done at 225, his vertical, and his broad jump. And they'll go on to the field and do field work. So that's when he'll do his 40-yard dash, his 5-10-5, his L drill, and then his specific position work. So I just wanted to throw, throw that out there in case any listeners were interested in, in how that process kind of happens in the actual uh, day of the, of the pro day or of the combine. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you went ahead and, and, uh, and jumped in there and said that. That's also a really interesting nugget, but yeah, like I mentioned, we're going to transition to the G five guys. We're at the combine and really quick. I have the notes pulled up, like I said, from NFL.com. So we're going to go through that really quickly. Uh, there are five guys who are G five, uh, representatives who will be at the combine as far as quarterbacks go. There will be FIU James, uh, FIU's James Morgan, uh, Princeton's Kevin Davidson, uh, Cole McDonald and Jordan Love. Uh, Jordan Love's at Utah State, Cole McDonald of Hawaii. So we're going to go and go through, uh, go through those guys really quick. Also, before we uh, jump in here, I want to uh, just give a quick, uh, if you don't happen to have, you know, the webpage pulled up like we do, NFL.com gives grades, and they range from no grade. The next grade would be a, a 5.0, with the highest being an 8.0. 
So James Morgan, I believe his grade, I'm going to verify it in a second, is a 5-6-4, which if you look at their grade, they say that that's a guy who has a chance to make the end of a practice squad roster or, or potentially, you know, either that or with his ceiling being maybe a backup or a special teamer or in this case, a third string quarterback. So that is the overview they have on James. Uh, I'm not going to read the overview. I'm just going to kind of jump right here into the strengths and the weaknesses. I'll go over a few, and obviously, you know, as someone who covers FIU for SB Nation, someone I know really well, so uh, you know, I can kind of provide a little bit of background on that. But I'm just going to pick out a couple things here. Uh, one, very tough player. That, that's you know, James is very much someone who you know, kind of played his entire senior year with a knee injury, so that is kind of self-explanatory. But as we get into kind of the quarterback things, um, they talk about him can spin the ball, excuse me, spin the ball with just a flick of the wrist. Now, Steve, I want you just, you know, as our quarterback here, jump in here and explain why that's key. So being able to – so if, if someone says you can spin with a flick of the wrist, that means you probably don't have to have optimal setup in your lower half and you can get away with kind of some off-balance throws, not that you are trying to throw off-balance, but in the NFL and any, any you know, any game of football, a clean pocket, not perfect, you, you have to make some awkward throws. So the importance of being able to just flick your wrist and get the ball where it needs to go – uh, especially at the NFL level, is, is going to be huge. And that's probably one of his top attributes. Attributes. I don't know if, if that's kind of what you're hearing too, Eric, but just from watching the film, that's kind of the biggest thing I think is this as, – is, uh, excuse me. That's one of the biggest things I see is his ability to kind of just uh, flick the wrist. It's, effort, it's almost effortless, and uh, he's got a very quick release as well. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's, who's seen James you know, in person knows that. He's, one thing he's not lacking is arm talent and the ability to throw the ball. Uh, so, you know, that is something I would concur with. Um, second thing I want to talk to you about is it says that he has a willingness to sit down and eat punishment to release a throw. Can you kind of elaborate on that for maybe a novice who's listening? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's probably just going to kind of just to, to make it easy, a quarterback who is patient, right? A quarterback who is going to let the play develop and someone who is not going to be looking at the password. So something you're taught very young when you're a quarterback is, hey, don't look at the people in front of you. Look at the people down the field, meaning don't look at the, the blitz or the rush or the D lineman. Look at the people you're trying to throw to. So the ability to not have his eyes on the actual rush, but to have his eyes on what's going on in the field where the ball needs to be is, is a big factor and, and something that you'll see like inexperienced quarterbacks struggle with. So I think Morgan's experience, especially being a, uh, essentially a four-year starter, including Bowling Green, I know uh, his numbers right. weren't – weren't weren't what they were at FIU, but the experience still comes into play, and the, the experience to be able to look downfield and to uh, kind of dismiss the pass rush, if you will, and have like pocket presence is, is kind of what we call it in the, the quarterback language, if you will. And then the last thing I want to talk about, and this is something that you may have heard, you know, whether it's just throughout kind of the lexicon of football, is talks about above average hand size. Can you just kind of put that into words as to why that's so important? Because you may hear it all the time. And people may, you know, flippantly throw it out there, but why is that important? Yeah, so I think if someone, for if someone is listening, just if you just grab a grab any ball, and if your hand covers the majority of that ball, you're going to have one probably better control. You throw it in two more velocity, and then if you grab a ball, uh, let's just say you grab a basketball, which you know everyone listening probably doesn't have NBA hands. So if you grab a basketball, you can tell the, the difference. Uh, compared to a normal ball that you can maybe grab fully, and then you're not going to have nearly as much control or nearly as much velocity in that ball. So the theory behind that is that the bigger a quarterback's hand is, the more control they're going to have on the actual ball, and the more velocity they're going to potentially put in the ball. Uh, usually, bigger hands are probably going to are going to be 
as well, probably a little, little more powerful and explosive in the lower half. Um, and, then, and then, of course, this ball security uh, is something added, added in that as well, although I don't think that plays that much of a role uh, at the NFL. Cause if a DN's hitting the ball out of your hands, I don't think it matters how big your hands is. Hands are J.J. Watt or Jadavian Clowney or uh, someone, a, a player like those calibers are, are swatting the ball out of your hand. Awesome. So we're going to jump into a couple of the weaknesses really quick here. And uh first one that I know jumped out to me is uh, he really good, excuse me, rarely gets through a slate of progression. Can you break that down really quickly? Yeah. So one, I'm interested to see after I, I, I answer this, if you agree, agree with that too. Uh, but, but so basically okay. that would, yeah, yeah. Just because you've seen him so much. Uh, Cause I've, I've always thought he he's gone through his progression well, but anyways, um, so rarely gets through a slate of the progressions. I mean, say you have four routes uh, in the play, and so you have your your number one guy, two guy, three guy, four guy. So if I can get through all my – say my one guy's not open, my two guy's not open, I keep going, you know, in order of, uh, of progressions until I get to number four and hopefully get rid of the ball. So that would just mean uh, unable to get through each progression, and that kind of leads to uh, potentially forcing – uh, a, a ball which is something that, that maybe he does do at times that might be because he trusts his arm maybe a little bit more uh than others but i'm inter- interested to see if, if you agreed with that quote-unquote weakness of morgan so it's interesting steve without obviously having you know been there down the field uh kind of bring you guys just a little bit inside the press box here the press box at ricardo silva stadium is really angled in a unique way so that you know, if you go into most press boxes, they're at the 50-yard line or at an angle in which it's like you're looking at all 22 tape. It's not the case at RSS. It's it's a, it's a soccer stadium, so it's kind of angled at the side. So I only say that is to say I may not be looking at the same thing that James is looking at, you know, depending on just, you know, from my angle. However, I've always thought that he's a guy who, when you just kind of look at, um, if you look at him on any given play and you see his, you kind of take a look at his eyes um, or look, take a look at his head, it does appear as if he's going through his progressions. But with that being said, you know, I'm certainly not going to disagree with the NFL's um, assessment yeah, yeah, of personal yeah. the assessment here. However, um, just from my vantage point, and, and I do feel qualified enough to say as someone who has seen every single throw he's made over the past two seasons, um, that I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. But, you know, that's the, the assessment they have. But the transition to the next one, they say his hips fly open in his delivery too often. And that's something I really want you to get into there. Yeah, so that, that's something I'd probably agree with. And a lot of strong-arm quarterbacks, that's a lot of quarterbacks with a lot of, lot of whip and torque in their throws like Morgan tends to have. That is a common, not issue, but it's a, it's a common uh, flaw in mechanics whenever the mechanics do falter. So let, let, let's say we're just playing catch, Eric, and you know, I, I typically, if you're straight ahead of me, I'll, I'll angle my front foot maybe slightly outside your shoulder to throw to you as opposed to stepping straight towards you, I'm kind of making an angle so my hips can come through. So if my hips fly wide open, that would basically be me taking a step to the, to the side of me, taking like a lateral step as opposed to slightly towards you and (coughs) causing my hips to fly open. Now my shoulders aren't directed towards you. My shoulders are kind of more to the side of you as opposed to towards you. So, so when some, when a quarterback's hips fly open, you're not going to get as much, velocity and, and and torque behind the bar uh power behind the ball and so that's going to leave the ball kind of floating at times uh which of course is going to probably lead to, to more turnovers than 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 not especially in the nfl awesome and the last one i want to jump in here too 
uh, is one that I've noticed, and I wonder if you've noticed this as well. It's, it's kind of, you know, a little, uh, I think they're being a little comedic here when they say this, but um, they, they uh, pull it out here. It says that throws short passes as hard as any quarterback ever. Um, yeah. That's one I will, <laughs> yeah, that's one that I, I will agree with. Um, James does, he's got the fastball. I mean, he's always, uh, the, the fastball is always uh, being thrown there, you know, not so much of a changeup. But just from your um, your assessment, Steve, why can that be an issue? I mean, obviously, if you're running back and you're kind of running a check down out of the backfield or you run from out of out of the flat, um, why can that be? Or, or even if it's just a shallow route in general, why can yeah, that be it, an issue? Uh, pr- pr- pretty simple, I think, Eric. It's just hard to catch, you know, when someone's just gun it that close. <laughs> so uh, I, I think just, just maybe having a little more feel of what kind of ball needs to be delivered, um, you know, will help with that. But, yeah, as nothing too elaborate in the breakdown there. It's just tougher to catch. <laughs> All right, so real quick, next guy we're going to transition to is Kevin Davidson from Princeton. Um, I, I know just from, you know, seeing both James and uh, Kevin at the NFL Combine, uh, excuse me, it's not the NFL Combine, excuse me, at East West Shrine game at the practices, it did look like James had a bit of a, a better week than Kevin Davidson did. But actually, if you look at the overview, they actually say that Davidson has a decent chance of making the jump as an NFL backup, whereas with James, they say that his ceiling might be just a third-string guy overall. Now, that may be semantics, but that's just their assessment they have. Uh, James Morgan does have the higher grade than Davidson. But just going to jump into a couple of his uh, strengths here. I'll go and just give you two really quick, James. Um, Steve, of course, when did that. Um, <laughs> right? You know, uh, but come to strengths, they say pre-strap recognition of rush danger. And then the second one I'm going to give you is poise and steady demeanor in the pocket. Just go ahead and go through those two for us. So I'll answer the, the, the second one first, kind of uh, piggybacking of what we talked about Morgan at one point. The, the poise and steady demeanor in the pocket is just going to be pocket presence and how you feel the rush. And so those two go hand in hand. So pre-snap recognition of rush danger, meaning I'm able to kind of uh, assess the situation, if you will, before the play actually happens. I, I know who's coming and what edge are coming. And if they're coming, I know where my check down is. And being able to stand the pocket and move within the pocket, and admittedly, I haven't watched Davidson play much at all. A few, a, just a few clips here and there, just to uh, kind of see h- how he looked. I forget what game it might have been against Cornell that I watched. So I, I, I forget, but uh, so admittedly, I haven't seen him play much. But as far as what those strengths mean, mean in general is just pocket awareness and being able to recognize the the, the rush and what to do with the ball. <laughs> Awesome. Then we go into some of his weaknesses here. They they say he's a sluggish mover in his setup and with ball handling. And then the second one is that his deep balls rarely excuse me, his deep balls rely on timing and air over arm strength. Right. So um <clears throat> sluggish mover and setup with ball handling usually is gonna lead to kind of a slow delivery. So if I'm a safety twenty yards deep and I I, I have watched film on him and I see how he sets up and when he throws, I'm able to have a pretty good break when he's throwing the ball and then relying on timing over arm strength. You know, some guys can just sit in the pocket and just rip it like Brett Favre. He doesn't, it helps to have timing. Yes. But a quarterback like Brett Favre can just be bouncing around, see a guy open and just rip it. Someone like Davidson who doesn't, you know, have the the same arm talent as, as Brett Favre, has to rely on timing, meaning, you know, if it's a route that calls for the ball to be out on my third step, that ball has to be out on my third step. If I take a small hitch or have to move slightly in the pocket, now the fact that I'm relying on my timing as opposed to my arm strength, that's throwing everything off. If I if I 
and a five, if it's a, supposed to be a five-step drop and throw, but I take a hitch with it, now my timing is messed up. It's going to be tougher uh, to get the ball where it needs to be if I continue to continue to rely on that. And then just one other quick thing just to touch on, uh, just to touch on on uh, Davidson is he only started one year uh, at at, uh, at the I in the Ivy League. Right. Yeah. Only started one year. And so that's another thing. Just the experience is probably something that might be, I don't know, held against him, but something that scouts are considering. So either one, he doesn't have a ton of experience or they could view it as two. Okay. He doesn't have a ton of experience and he still played well. So he could, he has the potential to be developed, if you will. Awesome. So the, the actual G5 guy who has the highest grade of any of the quarterbacks there is going to be Jordan Love. Uh, he has come with a grade of a 6.33, which according to the NFL's assessment says that he should be a starter within the first two seasons. Or actually, to quote it verbatim, it says that he will be a starter within the first two seasons. I'm just couching it as should, because obviously we know how those things go. But you're talking about a guy as far as quarterback size, 6'4", 225 pounds. I'm sure that that obviously helps. And also they, they you know, see the traits in him that they think uh, – would help him transition to be an NFL quarterback. Now, it's interesting that Lance Zerline is actually the NFL analyst who does these comparisons and uh, assesses the strengths and weaknesses and also writes his overviews. His NFL comparison is Blake Bortles. Now, I, I know for go, – go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. Have that real quick. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you what you thought about that being uh, a guy at UCF and having some experience with Bortles. I okay, so I know that Blake Bortles has become somewhat of a punchline, you know, among uh, football fans, yeah. just because he had, you know, such a a, a mercurial kind of like an up and down, topsy turvy type career at Jacksonville or in Jacksonville, I should say. However, when you look at Blake strictly coming out of UCF, out of coming out of Central Florida, I don't see any any reason that that's not a fair assessment. Um, right. Blake, and once again, this is just a little bit I've seen of Jordan Love. I do see a lot of similarities and that the offenses, and you'll see this is a strength that's talked about them. Uh, the offenses are built upon intermediate and deep reads and throws, right? Now, if anyone goes back to the George O'Leary offense of yesteryear, uh, the offenses were really predicated on, you know, running the ball first down, try to get, you know, in second and manageable, um, try to you know, give the quarterback, you know, those intermediate throws that are there. And then you're going to take a handful of deep shots per game, right? When you have guys, uh, for those of you who don't know, the UCF uh, uh, team from 2013 that Bortles was the last team before he went to the NFL, he had three NFL receivers in Rennell Hall, who actually is an XFL guy right now but spent time in the NFL. Actually, four when you include Josh Reese, who spent some time with the Philadelphia Eagles practice squad, J.J. Warden, who spent some time with the New England Patriots practice squad, and then Brayshad Perriman, who was a first-round pick. So, I mean, I know those are all names that you, if you're a, uh, a casual fan, you're like, who? But if I say, Steve, that a guy has four uh, receivers who made NFL rosters at some point in time, or at least were in NFL camps, one of them being a first-round pick, I mean, that's, that's incredible. Is, am I, am I no, mistaken there? Yeah. For, for, for any, any team, whether it's, you know, a G5 school or an SEC school, you know? Exactly. So, um, when, like I only mentioned that to say that that's why when you have that type of talented receiver and you just say, hey, hit the throws that we provide for you and then take the yep. deep shots downfield, you know, that was really kind of what Blake Bortles' assessment was there, and I did see that with Jordan Love. But to kind of jump in here really quickly, you know, uh, a couple of the strengths that we want to talk about is he drops deep balls and with plenty of air and touch. Now, that's the opposite of Kevin Davidson, so that's kind of self-explanatory. Uh, in 2018, trusts his receivers to make plays on 50-50s. Uh, Steve, really quick, can you just talk about what those 50-50 balls are and how important that is? 
Uh, and then I'm going to hit you with a, a strength that I really want you to go in detail in a second. But 50-50 ball, kind of break that down. Yeah, so a 50-50 ball, you know, is something you, you, it's pretty common to see in any, any level of football. And it, it probably started off as what was, you know, just the fade, the jump pass fade or a back shoulder throw where it's your guy against the DB. It's, it's a one-on-one, 50-50, 50 chance for the DB to make it, 50 chance for the receiver to make it. And a lot of that develops in the offseason and just repetition after repetition against air with the quarterback and the receiver where you're on the same page. You see a cornerback lined up in a certain uh, a certain position or, or, or a certain stance, and you know exactly, okay, I'm throwing this fade, I'm throwing a quick slant, I'm throwing it up to him. And so – it helps to have big receivers make plays, and uh, <clears throat> I know they had a, a different, uh, a different, you know, whole uh, offense and a, and a different coaching staff this year in 2019, which you know could have schemed away from those 50-50 balls that he relied on in, in 2018. But a lot, of the the biggest thing and how to become successful in those quote unquote 50-50 balls is this that time and time again that the repetition after repetition that you spend in the off season with your with your receivers. Awesome. So the next one I really want you to go into, and I think this one is very specific for a pro quarterback: arm mm-hmm. talent and swagger uh, to attack the field to attack field side, cover two hole. Now the cool. arm talent and swagger that's you know kind of subjective. Uh, I, I really want you to talk about attack field side cover two hole because right. you would, you know, someone would say that if you're going to be an NFL quarterback, you got to be able to attack cover two. A hundred percent. So a cover two is probably at least pre-snap what you see most uh, commonly in the NFL. There's, there's so many different uh, sub coverages under cover two, but basically, you know, two top safeties and two corners and you either have a, a four, three setup or a three, four setup for your front seven. <clears throat> but field side, so meaning like the the biggest part of the field away from the boundary, um, and a cover two hole. So real quick, a basic cover two. My two safeties are split in the field in half. So me, so Eric, if me and you are safeties, you have one side out of the, out of the other side, and the corners are going to be their main role is going to be you know that curl to kind of hitch range that five to maybe tennis yards or kind of. They're kind of covering that whole coverage. They can hit it. They can cover it in, 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 in intermediate kind of deep or intermediate intermediate uh, out route or, say, a five-yard hitch route. So they got both those in coverage. So the, to be able to attack that would mean to be able to attack the field sides or furthest away and in between the safety and the corner because there's not much space. So a lot of times you see like a seam – someone's running a seam route, and if I'm a quarterback, I know, okay – if he gets behind the corner, he's got a few yards before the safety comes over. And so I can't throw it up top because the safety has deep coverage. So I have to fit it in a small hole. And the, the quarterback that actually made this kind of uh, popular and famous was, you know, I, I hate to mention Brett Favre again because I already did, but he's the one who kind of was the first guy who would attack that cover two hole, if you will. And the first time he did it, this was on NFL films or ESPN films or whatever it was. And uh, the, it, it wasn't a read he was supposed to throw or a ball he was supposed to throw, and the coach would chewing him out saying, why did you throw that, this, this, and that? And his simple answer was, because I can. And so you, you have to have you have to be confident, one, but you have to have the arm strength to, to do that because you have to throw that ball on a line usually because you got the safety uh, uh, on the bottom of the coverage. you got the, the – I'm, I'm sorry, you got the safety on top of the coverage and the corner on, on the bottom of the coverage. You have a small hole to fit that ball in great breakdown there and then the last one uh last one is actually a weakness that we're going to hit on here is below average decision making against zone looks now once again the decision making that's you know that's 
uh, Mr. Zerline's assessment. I just want to ask you about the zone looks and specificity, and just talk about that a little bit as far as the quarterback's head to the next level. Yeah, so the, that would be – I don't know if – if he was, if he's just re- referencing the 2019 season, because the 2018 season, uh, he he was good against zone against man. He had like 32 touchdowns to six interceptions. But basically, all, all that means um, is because zone can be kind of confusing at times. If it's easy to know when someone is, is in man, you look and you see the corner running step for step with the go route. Uh, if, if, if someone's in the zone, it's hard to know at times. It can be complex to know, okay, what defender has what zone and, and what where's the safety going to be and where is this and that. So uh, a lot of times whenever you make a bad decision against zone, it's either just a, a bad read for the fact that you're not sure what the coverage is or you have a bad pre-snap read. So I think that can get cleaned up, just getting in the film room, having coaches – uh, break it down and kind of coaches give you tendencies what to look for. And then you have that pre-snap read to determine, okay, I know what they're doing against, you know, when I have 10 personnel or 20 personnel, or maybe I know what they're doing. I know what zones uh, most likely they're going to be using. And so now I know what, you know, the outside linebacker is doing, the safety is doing, the corner is doing. So now I have a better feel for it. So I think just getting in the film room will kind of clean that up. Awesome. The next quarterback or the final quarterback we're going to transition to will be at the combine. It's Hawaii's Cole McDonald. Uh, he has a grade of 5.4, which is actually the lowest grade of the uh, G5 quarterbacks would be at the NFL combine. But I just want to talk to this really quick. Uh, two strengths that they talk about. Works with the very last progression when he needs to. And then a rhythmic pocket climb away from building edge pressure. I want to focus on that second one. I think that's something that fans, for example, they may see the quarterback – climb in the pocket and wonder, for example, and this is something I've seen, I don't want to call it any specific fan base, but I'll use FI as an example. They've kind of wondered why the quarterback, for example, doesn't scramble out, right? So if pressure is coming from the ends, why he doesn't, you know, escape outward, as opposed to what you tend to see the quarterback do, which is climb in the pocket. Just talk about why that's important. Kind of break that down just for the novice, for the, the fan who may not necessarily understand why that quarterback will choose to step up and out, as opposed to kind of making like a, a a U-type shape around uh, that defensive end, for example. All right, so I'll touch on the first one b- real quick and then, and then jump to the, the climbing up in the pocket. So works the very last progression when he needs to. It's kind of the opposite of what he said about Morgan, where, you know, I can work my first, second, third, and fourth progression. I can get through my progressions and reads and complete the pass when I need to. And then to, to jump into the last strength, they call it. So that's pocket awareness and pocket presence is, is huge with that. And if I if I try to escape a DN who's crashing on the outside, especially in the NFL, more likely than not, they're going to get, be able to, to catch me and, and, and sack me. I'm safe in the pocket. Reads the play is still on the pocket. When I break the pocket, the whole play is done, and now it is almost like backyard football again. So when you have defensive ends that get upfield, that actually makes it much easier for the offensive line, especially your tackles, and then any of your running back help to block. They keep pushing them upfield. All you have to do is step up in the pocket. Uh, now, if you try to escape, you run right into that pressure. So you're doing it. You make it. Yes, it's easier for yourself. You're in the pocket. that The play goes on. But it's easier for your offensive line to block, too, because they can keep pushing them, pushing them uh, downfield while you're stepping up in the pocket. Now, uh, if you, like we, like we just mentioned, if, if you try to escape or you, you try to, uh, you know, make a lateral movement, then that's right into the, the pressure and it's going to make it tougher for your offensive lineman. So 
Long answer short, it's easier for the offensive lineman to keep the defender's momentum going. All you have to do is step up in the pocket and continue the play and let the play develop. Awesome. So really quick, as we're going to get ready to shut down the podcast in a second, we're going to go ahead and uh, bring it to a close. Before we do, we want to make sure we want to show some love to the guys who weren't invited to the combine. Let's talk about their pro days really yeah. quickly. And I was going to kind of jump all uh, – excuse me, I'm going to lump all three of them in there, which would be Louisiana Tech's Jamar Smith, Caleb Barker of Troy, and then Mason Fine of North Texas. We've talked about Jamar Smith a lot. So, just, Steve, I'll have you really quickly touch on Jamar Smith and maybe what he can do at his pro day to kind of show off his talents that he won't be able to um, show since he's not invited to the combine. But also Fine and Barker. Um, just talk about those guys just a little bit as we're getting ready to wrap this one up. Yep, definitely. And then uh, two other guys I just want to – I won't talk too much on, the other two, on these two sure. guys, but I just want to add in uh, Josh Love from San Jose State. He was the Mountain West – uh, offensive player of the year. So, you know, he beat out Cole McDonald and Jordan Love, two guys in the Mountain West that are going to the combine. Uh, so he's got a shot. And then Ty Story from Western Kentucky, um, <clears throat> you know, he, he's got a shot to do something as well. So I just want to give those two guys some love too. And, you know, they let them know we're, we're pulling for him. But uh, so, like you said, we, we talked about Jamar Smith. So, um, and what all these guys need to do, uh, not just Jamar Smith, but what all these guys need to do is. Yes, it's great to put up good numbers and everything, but you just have to go out and spin it. So we had a quarterback, a uh, former Conference USA quarterback that we prepped for the combine a few years ago, and he was never going to outrun anyone or have a kill kill anyone in a shuttle. So all I want him to do was focus on, hey, let's just get respectable numbers. Like we would look down at what all the quarterbacks did the past few years, and I said, let's just ballpark it. Let's get respectable numbers and just go out and spin it. You just have to go out and spin it. Your technique has to be on point. You have to do something to set yourself apart. So I think Jamar Smith is going to be in a good position to do that because he because probably not a lot of these scouts have seen him you know throw a lot like they've seen some of these other Power Five guys. And I think as far as uh, arm talent goes, uh, he he's above he has above average arm strength, and, and I think he can. Um, I think he's a very natural thrower. Uh, Mason Fine, uh, <clears throat> to me kind of the same with Smith. He's going to, have to find something to set himself apart. He's a little bit smaller in stature. And so he's not going to have as big of an arm as, as Jamar Smith, but just being accurate, you know, when he's throwing against air and his uh, quarterback drill is going 70 for 70, um, you know, show, showing good footwork in the pocket and just being uh, coachable. And I think the same goes for Caleb Barker as well, who put up huge numbers at Troy and he was coming off a ACL he, two years ago is when he heard it. So, so he was uh, completely back this year. And so I, I think he's very similar. He's, he's kind of like a mix between Smith and Fine. He can use his legs when he needs to. Uh, <clears throat> but all these guys, none of these guys are going to blow any scouts away with their 40 or their 5'10'5". And even if they did, no scouts are going to you know care unless you put up – unless you're like a Taysom Hill type player and you can play any position. Uh, so I think these guys need to do their best they can. But – Ultimately, they need to be practicing and working on the position that they are, which is a quarterback, and just going out there and just spinning the ball. If you can spin it, you can spin it. And uh, you know, if if you're if technically if you're technically sound, scouts know that. Uh, and if you're very if you're coachable and you're accurate against air, uh, you're gonna have a better chance and a better shot at getting an invite somewhere. Uh, so, and same goes for Josh Love of San Jose State and Ty Story. And there are probably a few other guys that we're leaving out or a few other guys who are going to be, you know, competing for are going to be uh, competing in a pro day and trying to make it. But these, 
these five guys that didn't get invited are the guys that kind of stick out to me for the the rest of the group of five quarterbacks. I don't know if you got anyone else, Eric, or you want to jump in here, but those are the the main <clears throat> main quarterbacks who didn't get invited that I think could you know stick around or, or make some noise somewhere. No, absolutely. I mean, you kind of touched on them, and the three guys who I had outlined in our you know pre-show prep were Jamar Smith. Mason Fine and Caleb Barker are obviously covering Conference USA. I see a ton of Jamar Smith and Mason Fine. I think Jamar Smith, from an actual quarterback perspective, has a lot of physical tools that you'd like. Mason Fine is a guy who I just wonder, you know, might not have those physical tools, but can he stick around as maybe, you know, a, a third-string guy? Or maybe he's a guy who might be served with one of these developmental leagues, like the XFL, to see what he can do. And sure, Caleb yeah. Barker from the Sun Belt, I was really impressed to see what he can do. Uh, what he's able to do over his senior year. So you kind of touch on all of them there. And once again, you know, Steve, want to thank you because you know, this is really your expertise. want to thank you for good, the uh, excellent insight as always. And we get ready to close this one up. Uh, this Once again, you can always find the QB Spotlight podcast on Apple Podcasts, and you can always find us on Twitter at QB Spotlight. You can always find Steve on Twitter at Steven, S-T-E-V-E-N, Hamner, H-A-M-N-E-R on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at Eric, E-R-I-C, C, Henry, H-E-N-R-Y. Steve, I'll leave it to you before we close up. Any final thoughts? Uh, no, I'm excited. This is one of my favorite favorite weekends, actually. I get to kind of geek out and just watch the uh, NFL Combine. And not quarterback-related, but the funnest guys to watch are the cornerbacks. So just just check those guys out. The DBs are the funnest to watch. Defensive ends are the second to watch. And then, you know, the rest is – you can kind of all argue about that. But defensive backs and defensive ends, check those guys out. Awesome. So we all will have our eyes focused on Indianapolis, the Lucas Oil Stadium, formerly the uh, RCA Dome, as I remember it as, the old home of the Indianapolis Colts. That's where these young men will be training for their NFL future. So once again, thank you for listening to us. Please go check them out. The Combine can be found on the NFL Network. And just once again, you can always find us at Apple Podcasts. Please leave us reviews, give us feedback. We're always interested in what we can do better or what you like that we are doing well. So Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your uh, happy Sunday or whatever day that is that you come across this podcast. And happy football watching, guys.